Ladies and gentlemen, very welcome to the next Smart Discussion. Today with Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Hey, Gregorio. How are you doing? Thank you very much for being here. It's really a great pleasure to have a real CX punk with me. But please, <laughs> let's start with a short introduction. Adrian, can you please share a bit about you? So, uh, so first of all, thank you, Gregorio, for inviting me on your uh, your podcast. I know kind of how much effort it takes to organize these things. I've been personally, I've been podcasting uh, crumbs for over ten years now. So I've been, I guess, I was I started podcasting when it was when it wasn't cool, and now it's cool, and I'll probably still be podcasting when it's no longer cool, but. Um, because I find it's a really good way to um, to meet people, to network, to kind of to learn new stuff. You know, I I, I fervently believe that uh, through my podcast, my podcast has made me smarter. Let's put it that way. Um, but a bit about me, I oh crumbs, where do I start? Um, so let me kind of start. I start at the beginning. At my I don't really consider myself to have had a, a career. I've had more of a journey when it comes to my work. Um, I'm a, initially, I was I trained as an economist and then also as a teacher, then worked, did both um, over the course of the 90s, both here in the UK and then also overseas, primarily in the, in the Middle East, uh, where I lived for a number of years, uh, specifically in, in, in Cairo, in Egypt. Um, then got to the end of the 90s and I flirted with the idea of becoming a professional economist and that would have required me to take a PhD and I went through the whole application process and that um, uh, and had places all sorted out and things but then I decided not to not to pursue that because I didn't think I had the stamina to go through the kind of the whole PhD process so in modern terms I pivoted and then jumped onto an MBA program um, in London and then uh, after that, kind of went and worked for a couple of big corporates, worked for the Financial Times Group, and then also for the Royal Dutch Shell Group, doing things like new value proposition development. So they're basically building new businesses inside a corporate environment. Did that for a few years. And then from 2004, I left Shell after a bit of a restructuring. They wanted me to take an operational job, and I decided that operations well, as much as I admire it, is not not necessarily for me. Um, did a, following that, did a bunch of um, sort of freelance sort of consulting kind of work. Did a, quite a few things at risk. Um, did one project where we nearly bought a steel company, but that's a, another story. And then come around about 2008, I, I decided I liked the idea of working independently, and and but realized that. If you want to do that, you've got to develop a reputation, so a digital reputation. So I started to write, and I was writing about general stuff to start with, and then realized that that got quite boring very quickly. Um, and so I realized I needed to write about something that I either liked or didn't like and wanted to change. And what I realized is that I didn't really, I don't really like bad service. Now that doesn't make me any different to anybody else, but it sort of frustrates me that having built things which have had customer and employee value at their heart, that it frustrates me that organizations, that many organizations get in the way of their people doing a good job. And so I started just sort of researching and, and, and writing about that and coming up with ideas with no particular view around 
looking for an answer or the answer, but just sort of exploring it. Um, and so for the last like, 12 years, I've been doing that. I self-published a book in 2010, which was an anthology of a bunch of stuff that I'd written. Uh, I started podcasting in 2000, January 2011. Um, wrote another book in, came out with Pearson in 2016 called How to Wow. It did well and got to number one in, on Amazon, so I can plausibly call myself a best-selling author. Uh, and then latterly published another book called Punk CX back in, in, in well, summer of 2019. And over the course of the last 12 years, I've, I've been able to develop a portfolio of work that's firmly rooted in the service and experience space where I, I do either a bunch of advisory work where clients have problems and I, they ask me to try and come and help them solve them. Uh, I do some speaking and writing. Um, I also do run a series of like sort of workshops where to facilitate either capacity building or to help them make decisions or make planning decisions. Um, and so, but in short, uh, I get paid to do stuff I like with people I like. So I'm, I'm, I'm a happy boy. That, that's a really nice. I think that the last sentence is the, the most important one because if you can do something that you like, then you can also create value value added. And uh, you mentioned that um, I had the, the opportunity to follow you several times. The last time was at the SIG Summit 2021. You, you had a great speech and, um, and you spoke also about your book. And it, it's really interesting to, 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 to have a look at, to, to read it. And I would like to deep dive in this CX Punk. I know that you did already quite a lot of podcast webinars about your book, but if it's a good one, then we need to speak about it. And Perfect. Perhaps the first question is, where did everything started with this CX Punk idea and then with the book? Well, it's a... Uh... So having been in this space for, for some time now, um, I, I found myself in, in December of 2017 in a pub called The Basket Makers in Brighton with a friend of mine, Oshin. And I was, and he's worked sort of in the experience space too. And I was over a few pints of Guinness. I was bemoaning the fact that there was a lot of, enthusiasm and activity and investment in the sort of experience space, but not a lot of significant improvement in outcomes. And that really frustrated me. And I, and, and I guess what drunks would might call a moment of clarity, I sort of blurted out, oh, I wish somebody would do something a bit more punk. And that idea sat with me for a while and then popped back into my head in the summer of 2018. I started thinking a bit more deeply about it because you know, I'm a fan of punk music and I was thinking about where punk came from and it, and it struck me that punk exploded out of the back of progressive rock in the 1970s. Now, progressive rock, whilst it was, <clears throat> it was popular in its, in of itself, it was also, it also got accused of being overly elaborate, over, overly elaborate rather. Um, it's, complicated and it was self-indulgent and it was all about virtuosity and, and like kind of how many notes you can how fast you, you can play a guitar solo or how many different synthesizers you can play at the same time and punk exploded at the back of that with its this idea of like well 
it's DIY, it's democratic. Anybody can get in, get involved. You don't need a PhD in music to to, to participate. And that made me think think about the, the the experience space. And it struck me that the experience space was looking a lot like prog rock in the 1970s, and that it'd be coming overly codified benchmark frameworks, metrics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was possibly more in danger. It was in danger of losing sight of the people it was trying to help and be becoming more interested in itself. So therefore, it was starting to look a lot like uh, prog rock in the 1970s. And I said, well, if that's true, and if we had prog rock and then punk rock exploded at the back of it, and CX was looking a lot like prog rock, then what would a punk version of CX look like? And hence the book. And the book is written not like, so it looks like this, and it's not like any other kind of business book, which is like black ink on white paper. It's sort of inspired by music albums. And rather than having chapters, it takes along the form of like having tracks, which are like has titles and then short, punchy kind of lyrics. And it's very sort of like visual in its in its you know in its in its look and kind of like feel. So it's a bit like styled along the lines of like an album or a fanzine or so 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 forth. And I did it because it felt like um, it was like an art project. It was like a passion project for me. Um, and I did it just to see what would happen. And I call it my visual slap in the face for the, um, for the customer experience industry. But basically kind of saying to them, wake up and do better and be better because customers and employees, they're all waiting for for better kind of like help and and thankfully and 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 I'm very grateful for this. It's actually really it's gone down really really well with lots of different sort of people. Uh, just because of one, its message and two, kind of how it's uh, its format and how it stood out amongst other kind of things. And so that was never my intention, but I am very grateful and very pleased that it's um, it's it. it it's resonating with a whole bunch of people. And, and I can confirm that it's, it's really a great book. And I think this is also what I, I really like. It's, it's there are short chapter and not one chapter with 200 pages that you need to read, read, read. And at the end you come to the conclusion, but you have real value in each page, in each, in each chapter or title that, that you, that you are uh, reading. Therefore, I, I fully agree. And I am really sorry if I'm quoting in the wrong way. I am going to say some sentences and then you can explain or elaborate about uh, a bit about it. The first one, it's, uh, it's from Spider-Man or the uncle of Spider-Man, if I'm correct, yeah. is with great power come great responsibilities. What mm -hmm. do you mean exactly with this, uh, with this sentence? Well, I look at all the different things that are that surround experience right now, whether it's the the use of behavioral economics, whether it's the impact of behavioral design, whether it's um, the use of AI to facilitate sort of like uh, journey orchestration or next best offers or next best actions, depending on your company philosophy. And I look at all these different things. These big, big tools, you know, very powerful tools. And I think that 
we have a responsibility to act with with care when we have these tools at our disposal and one of the best ways i could find to sort of articulate that came from spider-man and it was spider-man's i think uncle ben who was talking to him about his gifts and he was saying look you've got you have all these kind of gifts these powers as it were but with great power comes great responsibility and therefore that felt like a really great saying to sort of shine a spotlight on the use of behavioral economics behavioral design you know ai algorithms all these different things and and i thought well actually you know what everybody's getting really excited by all this stuff the possibility of all this stuff but we also need to take a min a minute to make sure that we are using these tools and these powers in the right sort of way and so that was that that chapter or that track rather was done with a con um a note of caution which basically says this is all brilliant and there will be more to come but let's make sure that we act responsibly with all this sort of stuff that lies in front of us sure and uh, i am a former consultant and therefore i can say that also a shiny powerpoint slides you can write quite a lot in there but it's not anything implemented until you you do that and and at the end it's it's artwork to 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 implement that and i think this is one one the great start the the second and again quoting your book is customer experience is more than f star 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 metrics <laughs> well if you can if you want to kind of like paraphrase it it's oh, that poster there is the one that's kind of the, the picture that is taken in the book now yes. i need to say that that was originally on my wall as a poster and it, it stuck there fine. And then I put it in a frame and then it fell off the wall, hence why it's sat on top of a pile of books now. Um, but that poster um, comes from a company called More Than Metrics, which is, uh, who are rather kind of based in Austria and Mark Stickdorn, I think it was the CEO over there, they're a design company, um, gave me permission to reprint it in the, you know, in the book. And it just, that whole track was about this idea that there seems to be this um, a lot of like a lot of the talk and experience is dominated by metrics, and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about well, actually, but if you think about it, customer experience, i.e., the experience a customer has, is not about metrics. It's about the experience somebody has. It's like saying somebody falls in love. Then, you know, you go, love, okay, fine. Do we, do we, do we immediately talk about um, um, how we measure that on a scale of one to 10? No, it's not. It's we actually, we focus on, you know, how it makes us feel and what it makes us do and, and all these different sort of things. And so my point with that track was to point out and say, look, let's not reduce everything that we do to metrics the work that we're trying to do is 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 way more involved than that and so it's just a, a, almost to hold a mirror up to kind of people and just go look a good customer experience is not about um how your um how your customers kind of rate you. it's not only about how your customers kind of rate you whether it's on a csat or mps or ces sort of score it's also about 
one, do your customers come back? You know, do they talk about you? Do they, you know, what, what is the impact that they're, that the experience you're delivering kind of have on the overall kind of business? Is it driving kind of like overall kind of business success? You know, what does, um, what, what role does your employees play in, in, in all of that? So it's like, it's a much, much bigger kind of picture. And I was just cautioning about the idea of it being, taking a very reductive approach to that because let's, you know, particularly around satisfaction scores or um, scores like MPS, where an improvement in MPS or an improvement in, in CSAT is no guarantee for success. You might have a positive MPS score, but MPS, positive MPS scores and business success, they're, they're only correlated. There's no necessarily causative link between those two things. And I think we need to be we need to be clear that actually, well, the things that we focus on have are causative rather than um, they're just correlations. And so that was just like a warning to say, look, it's more than this. It's much, much more important than this. So let's just make sure that we don't just focus on the um, on on the um, on the on the metric because if if I use a simple analogy just to explain it. We don't drive our cars or our motorbikes or whatever by looking at the speedometer or looking at the fuel gauge. Those are only indications of how fast we're going and how much fuel we've got. We actually drive our cars by looking out at the road ahead. And if you did drive your car by looking at the speedometer or looking at the fuel gauge, you don't see where you're going. You don't see what's in front of you. You don't actually end up kind of, you know, more effectively navigating the, you know, the journey and responding to the things that's in front of you. And so it can be a very, very short-sighted view of things. So that 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 track was just about a warning about like lift your head up from your dials and look at around what's happening in front of you, and then respond to that, not just your not just your numbers. Those numbers are important, but they're not the whole picture. Sure, and I think there is one great example that it's quite often discussed is after a nice candlelight dinner with your partner, with your wife, are you not asking your wife or your partner uh, from zero to 10, uh, how are you recommending me? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> and, and therefore it's, it's clear. Thank you, Adrian. The, the next point is uh, simplicity rules, okay? Yeah, well, so the thing I, I thought about that is that um, we know that we know from our own personal perspectives, right? That we like things that are easy, convenient, effective, responsive, all these different sort of things, right? And yet we get to the point where we keep adding and adding and adding and adding more things to the mix, like more channels, more technology, more choice, all these different sort of things. One of the problems is that that runs counter to what we can know that customers can like want. And it also can become confusing for customers where you give them so much kind of choice that they end up not doing anything at all. Um, and so, the point of this track was to show or to try and challenge people to work harder to make things kind of more simple, you know, and that's backed up, the power of that is backed up by research by a company called Siegel and Gale, who have been doing ongoing research about the power of simplicity. They, have, they run this thing, um, it's publicly 
available that you can scrutinize called simplicityindex.com. And you can look at the, you know, what consumers consider to be some of the most simple kind of brands across the world and across different countries. And what they've shown over time is that brands that have simplicity at their heart, they outperform the stock market on a basket of stock um, on a basket of stocks by about anywhere between 300 and 600% over the last kind of like 10 years. So it's those, those numbers, <clears throat> excuse me, speak for themselves, but also they have better relationships with their customers. Either the customers keep coming back for more and more. They're, it, they, it has a positive impact on their relationships with their employees as well. So you have less kind of, um, it's easier for employees to do a better job and the employees tend to stick around for longer. But the interesting th other thing that I've learned recently is like when you start to do things kind of simply, it can also build trust and credibility. So you actually kind of fortifies the relationship that you have with your, with your consumers because they trust that you've put the effort in. Now, I'm not saying that this is easy, but it is a challenge, you know, to try and make things simpler. Um, I can't remember the exact kind of quote, but um, I think it was Charlie Mingus, the legendary bass guitarist, who said something of the order that making things complex is really easy, but making things simple is the height of create is hard, but it's also the height of creativity. And I think that's that is the challenge is that the rewards are there. We just need to push ourselves to try and achieve them to make things kind of like simple. So maybe a simple question or a straightforward question to ask is like whenever you're adding something, ask yourself, what two things are you potentially could you potentially take away? Because if you're not taking anything away or you're not taking things away at a rate of a rate greater than what you're adding things, then you're automatically adding complexity complexity to your business. And I think if we can link with uh, my other passion, sport and soccer, that's exactly the same what trainers tell to the, to the children to play in a simple way, make things mm -hmm. simple, make the pass as you should, and then it works. And we have a look at the superstars that are shooting goals in the championship, in the Champions League and so on. For them, it's simple because they are training really, really hard and they are doing only that. But for them, it's simple because they are they train quite a lot and therefore they can do that. And therefore, I fully yeah. uh, agree with you. Um, perhaps one or two two additional tracks before we we, we finish the, the main topic. Um, the answers are right in front of you. Could you please elaborate a bit on that? Because this is, I think, really key. <laughs> Of uh, for quite a lot of businesses. Yeah, so the the confounding thing about <clears throat> excuse me about human beings is that we're we can be quite smart, but we can also be equally dumb um, a lot of the time, and we don't. We're not great at learning from history. We just need to kind of look back, look at kind of the world outside us, and we just keep repeating the same mistakes. And so, the point of this track was this idea that you know most of the answers are there 
are hiding in plain sight. They're in front of you, you know, and we, we more often than not, we result, we resort to the use of technology or analytics or AI or machine learning to try and kind of dig into all these big data sets to try and define what the answers kind of are. What's interesting, I find, however, is that we tend to ignore what's what's right in front of us. You know, we talk about computing power and in artificial intelligence and neural networks and all these different things. But what we do, what we ignore, is that we have our own system network of supercomputers all around us. The thing is, they're not artificial, they're real and they're biological, right? And all these people around us are waiting, they're trying to do this good, good work and trying to do this hard work. The point is, is that, and they have access to all this knowledge, this, you know, this experience, this insight, but yet we don't necessarily leverage that as much as we possibly could. And so I would say that most of the problems that you, that you need to solve um, are already they're already identified and they're just in people's heads and you just need to go and kind of ask them and they'll tell you before you need to, before you go mining any data, just go and talk to your people. They will tell you everything that you need to know for probably 60, 70% of all the kind of problems that you need to address right here, right now. And, and if you do that, here's the thing, two things will happen. One, you'll get a clear, very, very clear direction about what you need to do now tomorrow, the day after, and the following week, et cetera, et cetera. But the other interesting kind of positive thing that comes about, that comes about from that is the fact that you've gone and spoken to your people and you've gone and asked their opinion, and then you've gone and acted upon their opinion. They're going to feel great. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to feel kind of, you know, empowered and listened to and respected and all of those kind of positive kind of things. And so you, what you end up doing is you end up kind of potentially raising both your customer experience and your employee experience at the same time. And so what's not, not to like? All it requires is for us as people that are in analytical or management or supervisory or leadership positions is just to go and ask just to go and observe, just to go and listen, just to go and see, um, because the answers are there. We just need to go and find them. Yes, I think that's that's one uh, really key topic, listening to the people, and uh, then these people, these employees feel valued, valuable, and then they can bring us forward. I think there's an important point to, to add on this, and this is a point to leaders as well, um, is... One, don't delegate that to somebody else. Do it yourself. And the reason why I say that is because there's a difference between kind of that, you know, having the hard um, data and then having the kind of the insight that's generated from actually going to speak to people where you get a real visceral feel for what, for what is going on. And that's where you really connect the dots where you get a real understanding of what is actually going on and how people feel about that. So you, it basically creates the stories that will compel you to act. We don't, we are people of, we are storytellers by ver, our very nature. 
And it's the point is we have to try and seek out these stories and tap into these stories. And the second thing is, as a leader, if you if this is something you don't do normally, then you have to do it, and you have to keep doing it, because your your role is to keep showing up and to develop that trust that people then start to feel comfortable with opening up to you, because that doesn't just happen overnight. That doesn't ha that doesn't just doesn't happen just because you've shown up. Just because you have a position with, with responsibility and authority, that does not mean by default that people are going to trust you and be open with you. So you have to keep showing up in such that you build relationships with them that you end up opening up that kind of that, you know, that 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 honest and open kind of like channel. Because if you don't, you can't just go go and then they don't say anything and then you feel bad about it, or you're like, ah, they've got nothing to say. Maybe they've got nothing to say because they don't trust you. And so if you, they, the, the answers are there. And if you're not getting what you're looking for, the problem is probably your responsibility, not theirs. And so you're the one that has to do something different, different, keep showing up to be able to build that bridge to them, to, to, to open that conduit into that kind of, that, that, that fabulous insight that they all have. I think that was a great answer and a great uh, input. Thank you very much, Adrian. We are now moving to the second phase of, of this podcast, only two, three additional questions. Um, mm -hmm. And um, for me, it's always customer experience. It's not about B2B or B2C, but it's human to human. And therefore we would also like to learn something additional about you, Adrian. Um, how can you ensure to have your work-life balance? And we understand also from the beginning what you said that you really like what you're doing and therefore it's part of your, I think the job is partial also your hobby, but what you're doing also in this phase that is quite difficult, lockdowns everywhere and, and so on. So, so I think that the, the one thing that, um, that I've done for years that I think is important sort of thing is to try and create sort of boundaries and separation between different things. So I have a routine where I try and block out time as much as possible, where I try and focus different things. So when, before the lockdown and things, I had a, I had a, um, almost a, a default way of trying to manage my, my week. So I would try and have it such that unless I was traveling, that in general, general generally speaking, Mondays would be a, a very much an internal kind of office-based day. Uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays would be more client-facing, whether I out visit, visiting clients or I, I was working on kind of project-related stuff. And Friday would be my either in-office or slash overspill day, i.e. catch-up day. And that's generally how I kind of like try to manage my time. Um, because then I could then rather than that's about me taking control of my time. So then I know where to put things. So it's like, I don't feel like I'm running around all of the time, you know, like going from meeting to meeting and just going, what we're we talking about now, because actually it's more about staying focused and getting, just getting things kind of done. And so that's something that I've kind of used and I've kind of had to modify that over the last kind of like 12 months or so uh, to respond to this kind of new environment. And, because I did find at the beginning, I was putting things in my diary all over the place. I didn't have that travel pattern anymore. And 
and I was sort of feeling like I was losing control. So I ended up having to block out time. So I want to do this here, this here, this here, this here. So I knew where I needed to put certain things or when I was free for certain things. Um, and that just allowed me to retain a degree of focus and, and control around my own sort of time. Because I think most more people should do this, I believe, because time is the only thing that we can't get any more of. And therefore, we have to use it the best that we can. And the second thing that I do, and I, and I continue to do, is I have a, a list of things that I need to do. And I'm no different to anybody else, and I have a priority, like a to-do list, right? And that helps me focus on what's, what's in front of me kind of in the coming day. But what I also do, the other thing I do, that which I learned, was that I try and make up my to-do list for the next day at the end of every day. And the reason why I do that, it's almost like a, a, a signal to my brain that the day is now finished. And so what you end up doing is you can, you know, you can push a lot of things that's in the front of your conscious mind into your subconscious mind. And it brings sort of, truth and power to that whole idea when people go, talk about, I'm going to sleep on it. You know, that sort of thing where you ask somebody, somebody a question, they say, I'm going to sleep on it. And what they mean by that, I believe, is that they'll let their subconscious mind think about it overnight. And what you're doing by, by making a list for what you want to do the next day is you're doing exactly the same thing. You're pushing those things into your subconscious mind and letting your brain think about them. Um, but it also means that you shut off the work day. And then when, and when it's the, the evening or the weekend, if you choose to do any more work, then that's fine. But you know there's a separation because otherwise you end up kind of like things just get bleed together and there is no separation. And therefore it's hard to get that, 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 you know, that focus and that rest time. Thank you. I think this is a uh, really important hint and idea as well to, to schedule the day. Um, the next questions, and we are coming to, to an end. Uh, which book are you reading? And I am clearly not asking which book would you recommend because we know which book you would recommend. It's no, no, no. <laughs> but I'm reading, uh, what am I reading this? Um, I've, I've got two books rather right now. Um, I've got this, this one by Dan Price because he's just what he did with gravity payments is just incredibly inspiring. This is the story behind how on the back of reading a paper by Daniel Kahneman and one of his, uh, and a, and a co-author that it, it was looking at at what point does, um, earning more money contribute less and less to your overall happiness. And they found that it was roughly somewhere in the region of between 70 and 75,000 US dollars in America. So this guy, Dan Price, decided that he was going to pay everybody in his firm a minimum of $70,000 a year. The idea being that if I do that, he, he believed if I do that, then it eliminates everybody's other challenges in life and they bring their best version of themselves to work. So it's a completely amazing kind of like model. He got a lot of flack for that, but the results of the business kind of speak for themselves. He's done it amazingly well. So it's just a different way of thinking. I mean, and 
very, very creative. Um, and then the other one is from a guy I know called Professor Michael Solomon. It's called The New Chameleons. And it's all about, it says, how to connect with consumers who defy categorization because it's not, he believes it's not just about demographics anymore. We've got to work harder to, be, to better understand kind of customers. And so those are two that I'm sort of like um, dipping into kind of like now just to try and understand what, the, what they're all about. Thank you very much, Adrian. Um, the second last question, if somebody wants to connect with you, have additional question, it's LinkedIn the best way to connect with you or? Uh, LinkedIn or um, or uh, look up, look me up at my website. I mean, I've got my, my email and my phone number is all there. You can you know, knock yourself out. It's, it's A-D-R-I-A-N. S-W-I-N-S-C-O-E, but I'm sure you'll put that, Gregory will put that in the show notes. Either search for my name or uh, on Google and you'll find my website or search for me on LinkedIn and you'll find me there. It's like, the shop is open. Thank you very much. And this is my really last question. Um, the question is your gold nugget. It's something that you want to share with the audience that you, we discussed or something new. It's something to leave to the audience. Um, I would say that I think the biggest, there's probably a couple of things. The biggest thing that um, I would say is find something. I'm very lucky in that I find something that I love to do. Um, and I would encourage everybody else to find their own thing that they, they love to do, whether it's a subdomain of something or it's a bigger thing doesn't really matter i mean but there is something to be said about enjoyment and passion and things but the thing i think that drives that for me is being curious and being curious about everything um and i i don't mean to say that we should do that because that there's never going to be an answer but actually being curious and being open to other other ideas and things that you can learn from other places I think is is a fantastic skill and a fantastic kind of talent. I don't think people um, work on their curiosity as much as they as they could and they should. But I would say that just be curious, you know, um, because be, by being curious about something, you'll become um, more interesting in of yourself, and you just need to kind of like just you know. Um, it will just, uh, it'll just pay dividends. Just do it. That's it. Thank you very much, Adrian. It's uh, as usual, I'm not commenting your gold nugget because it's your gold nugget. Thank you very much, Adrian. You're very welcome. Gregorio, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, I hope your football team gets back to winning ways in the, in the, in the coming weekend. And um, thank you so much once again for inviting me on your podcast. It's been, it's been ace. It was a great pleasure. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you to you also for watching it, listening to it. It was a great pleasure again having Adrian Swinsko with me. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.